welcome to DevCast, brought to you by Devril Smith, the right people. DevCast is where property meets people, industry figures, news and views, what it takes to be your best. So sit back, earphones on, and enjoy this edition of DevCast. Hello and welcome to DevCast, Devil Smith's audio series, which holds exclusive and thought-provoking interviews with professionals of the property industry. My name is Andrew Devil Smith. I'm CEO and founder of Devil Smith, and today I'll be joined by industry trailblazer Colleen O'Connor. Colleen's vice president of leasing at Biomed Realty. Um, since joining Biomed Realty's team nearly seven years ago, Colleen has elevated the company's profile by establishing trusted relationships in the real estate sector venture capital markets, and most importantly, scientific communities. Colleen has vast experience and qualifications in accounting, finance, and real estate, and I'm looking forward to hearing her story today. Colleen, thanks ever so much for joining me. How are you? Very good. Thanks for having me. So Biomed, I mean, we're very fortunate to have done some work with you guys, but for our listeners, do you mind telling us the story? give Give us the story of Biomed. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Biomed is um, focused on providing space for life science users in the industry. We operate pretty much across all the core markets in the US and also in the UK. So I guess in terms of uh, largest markets, we're starting out at Boston, Cambridge, which is where I sit right uh, in Kendall Square. Um, And then San Francisco, we've got San Diego, Seattle, and then Cambridge, UK, which we have almost a million square feet of life science space there now. And the portfolio size is just about 13 million square feet, but we've got a lot of uh, new developments underway and new new projects happening across all the markets. We used to be uh, publicly traded REIT back in January of 2016, and we were purchased by Blackstone. So they're our sponsor now. Um, so we've got incredible access to a, a talented team over there and great access to capital uh, and really a strong conviction in the, in the life science space. So uh, fortunate to have all that backing and excited to continue to grow the platform. Well, I knew Black Blackstone was smart, but it turns out <laughs> they might have, they might have been even smarter than I thought. I got to ask you the COVID question straight straight away. Really, I mean, COVID's just been a huge huge event in all of our lives. How has that affected Biomed? Do you think what what's the yeah? Big it's really interesting because I think you know. I, I want to say a couple of years ago now, but I'm losing track of time. When it, when all of this was first hitting, you know, we all kind of took a pause, wondering what it would actually mean for our space. But what we quickly learned, and what most of my uh, tenants ha- had said to me, is we're we're not really shutting down. They don't really have the life science tenants don't really have the option of shutting down. So the way most of our user base would describe it is, they took a short pause, regrouped, and immediately came back up with a plan to get everybody back into the lab spaces. So from our perspective, you know, I remember in the heart of COVID actually touring spaces, suited up gloves, mask, everything uh, to try to try and help continue the lab research. Almost 40% of our tenants were actually working on COVID testing, diagnostics, therapies. So our ability to continue to operate the facilities was really mission critical. I think with that said, you know, there are some users that are more critical 
than others in terms of who should be coming into the spaces. So most of our tenants took the approach of really getting the key scientists back in the labs as soon as they possibly could and, and continuing that. Uh, but keeping some of the less critical personnel that need to, you know, don't really need to be in things like accounting, finance, et cetera, and having those, um, those people work from home. So in an odd way, it felt a little bit like an alternate universe because uh, definitely experiencing something that was drastically different from my peer set that was solely focused on office space where, you know, people largely went home and, uh, it was a, a diff, just a different environment. I, I find that staggering. 40% of your occupiers were focused on COVID worldwide. Yep, yep. In some form or fashion, you know, affiliated with the cause. So they were, of course, anxious to get back. And I think it, you know, it was a really unique experience being in the heart of Kendall Square, where a lot of the activity uh, to move the vaccine forward really happened. So uh, definitely an interesting, interesting place to be. And I think seeing a level of collaboration and effort to move, move everything forward um, that we've never seen before in a pace that we've never seen before is it's ex kind of exciting to be in the mix of it, even if you're, you're looking in from the outside a little bit as a real estate provider. Yeah, well, you were closer than most of us, I'm sure. And that's, that's, that's pretty incredible. Um, what does the future look like for Biomed? You know, Blackstone have come in, they see huge potential and including the life sciences sector, but what, what, you know, what's the mission? Yeah, yeah, so we've been incredibly fortunate to have their backing, just their reach and, and the access to capital and the access to talent, uh, the trends that they're able to see from a macro perspective uh, that we have, we have access to is really beneficial for us. We um, have focused in on a cluster model. So when we think about life science ecosystems, You'll often hear us talk about it in the sense of, you know, the, these groups don't uh, perform research in isolation. They're very connected. And so we really very much believe in operating in that cluster model. And so you've seen, we've really honed in on the key markets, uh, Cambridge, Boston being one of them, and obviously Cambridge, UK being another one, but really focused in on trying to concentrate our efforts in those markets and grow those platforms um, and we have an incredible amount of capital that we're intending to put into the sector. I think, you know, we're, we've always been convinced in the life science industry fundamentals. I think uh, over the past couple of years, I've become even more convinced uh, in the fundamentals as have our sponsor and, and the rest of the biomed team here. So uh, we continue to kind of see the company grow um, and definitely growing across the UK in addition to all the other key markets. So you know, the way I see it is the life science research continues to move at an incredibly rapid pace. And we're really just trying to keep up with meeting the demand and, and getting the space to users as soon as we possibly can. Um, and as a leasing professional yourself, what would be, I guess, the similar, what, 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 what's, what are the themes that you come across um, is it startup scaling? Is it, um, you know, is it the access to um, uh, equipment? I don't know. What, what, are, what are the sort of um, drivers for your customers when they come to yeah. you? Yeah. So when we think about um, the cluster model, what we really love about it is you have users from all different ends of the spectrum and they all rely on each other. So if you think about it, you know, Cambridge, Cambridge UK is a great example. You've got AstraZeneca who has put their 
global research, uh, European research headquarters in Cambridge, UK. That's excellent. You know, you need you need that uh, type of user in the market, but they also need the small, smaller growing companies that are innovating at a rapid pace and growing very quickly. And there's a partnership between the various types of users in the market and they all need each other to survive in a sense. And so when we think about the cluster model, we think about making sure that we're creating an environment that fosters the innovation through those smaller growing companies that may start out with a couple employees and, and you know continue to grow their platform. And then those groups typically tend to land themselves from a real estate perspective in more of an incubator model because they're smaller, they don't necessarily have the resources to set up a full lab operation. They need the help on the environmental health and safety side and really kind of getting their business off, off the ground. But then as they grow, they need that scale up space where they can have more of their own home um, and have a larger footprint to do their research. And then ultimately, if they get to the level of uh, a headquarters facility, there should be some optionality for that in the market as well. But we really think about it as, as kind of the cluster model and each user will have a very different need and it's a very different conversation. If you think about it, the smaller users that are growing are not focused on real estate. It's interesting because, you know, as a real estate provider, we have to realize that actually they don't really care about the real estate. What they care about is having a lab where they can get in there as soon as possible. That's functional that they can go ahead and do their research in. So with the user, a smaller user, we take the approach of, um, you know, we're, we, we try to do everything. We leverage our facilities team, our operations team. We show them exactly how it works. We know how the best practices are in terms of operating the space and we hand it to them essentially. But if you're working with a larger user, such as an AstraZeneca, they have a full robust team. They have the expertise in-house. That's more of a partnership where you're kind of working through uh, what their needs are and developing a, a solution that works for them. And then in terms of the smaller users, the need for speed is huge. The science is moving quicker. The funding rounds going into a lot of these companies are larger. As soon as they get the funding, they want to hit the next research milestone. And to hit the next research milestone, you have to hire the scientific talent. Well, to hire the scientific talent, you have to have the lab space, right? So it kind of there's kind of a linear pattern there. And if if you're a user, you need access to the space immediately. And so the need for speed is huge for those groups. Also, uh, most of them are in cash conservation mode. You know, if they if they raise a significant amount of fundraising, they don't want to put a chunk of that towards real estate. They want to put it towards the scientific research. And so Oftentimes, um, as a landlord, you're you're better off kind of providing them a custom turnkey solution that they can go ahead and, and move right into without having to expend a lot of their own capital. Whereas it's very different on the on the big pharma side. So the trends the trends are different by by user base. Oh, that's fascinating. So you will put the will you put the kit and equipment into the space as much as provide the space? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, for the for depending on our our target market and Babraham, uh, our Babraham project is actually a great example in Cambridge, UK. You know, when we were delivering that project, which is about 100,000 uh, square feet across two buildings, the market demand right then was really scale up companies, companies that were looking for, you know, 10 to 25,000 square feet of space to go ahead and, and do research. Um, and for those particular users, it's important to have move-in ready space that they can get to ASAP. Uh, and part of our thesis with uh, building out the space is if you build it out the right way 
and you have the right infrastructure, it's fairly generic from user to user. And so you can expend that extra capital as an ownership entity and have the economic model make sense because you're not spending the capital a second time when that group needs to move out. And it's not a, it's not a particularly custom fit out in that sense. It must get pretty technical, a little bit more than, um, no, no, no disrespect to our office <laughs> friends listening to this, but I'm sure you've learned a lot about scientific technology that perhaps you didn't know um, prior to, to this asset class, right? Yeah, it is, it is very technical. And I think that's why we've kind of married up our Cambridge UK operations with our Cambridge Boston operations, because we're, you know, this, the speed at which the companies are moving in Cambridge Boston and the churn for a particular space is so great. You know, in a given year, if my portfolio in Cambridge Boston is 100% lease, I may do 500,000 square feet of leasing, just moving tenants around that didn't even have expiration dates. And so there's a natural churn. And by having that churn, you learn what users actually need and want. Um, and we've gotten it to a point where we find that new users can move into space oftentimes with some no capital, but really at a maximum, something like $20 a square foot just for a little bit of, of customization if you built it the right way. Um, and so we had such a high conviction in what we were delivering, just given the decades of experience we've had had here doing it. And really the, you know, there is obviously different code regulations and different rules in the UK to some extent, but at the end of the day, the scientific research actually what the scientists want is, is very similar. So we were able to take a lot of those lessons learned and employ them in the UK and have, have great conviction over the way that we're building the space. Well, let's talk about the UK, not that I'm biased because, you know, I love the US <laughs> and our business over there just as much, but what, what firstly, what brought you here and then what are your ambitions for the UK or, I don't know, the European uh, business that you're looking to build? Yeah, yeah. So the UK, um, our first acquisition in the UK was actually our Granta Park campus, which is about 800,000 square feet. It was anchored by groups like Gilead, Illumina, Metamune, who was acquired by AstraZeneca is there. So a fairly robust campus. And I think, you know, we started with our, US-based platform, but there are a number of life science companies operating in the UK. And so it made perfect sense to really kind of replicate the business model and bring it over to the UK. If you think about Europe overall, and you look at where funding is going in terms of thinking about the market fundamentals, UK gets a significant amount of government funding that goes into research. Um, there's you know more activity on the venture capital side flooding into the UK market than some of the other European regions. And so those fundamentals really um, push us forward in, in terms of being interested in that market. In addition to the fact that you've got some pretty significant demand drivers, similar to what we see in the state. So in terms of life science companies, the most important thing they're looking for is the ability to, to attract and retain the top talent. And if you think about the UK region, specifically Cambridge UK, and you look at all the excellent universities uh, with, with graduating scientific uh, talent, it's, it's incredible. So all of those fundamentals really existed in that market. And so it's a natural location for us to want to grow. And the way we see the UK market is we, we, we have a pretty substantial presence right now in Cambridge, UK, but we do believe in the fundamentals of the Golden Triangle, Cambridge, Oxford, London region. Um, it's obviously, you know, there's some more challenges in London, for example, building in an urban 
more urban environment, um, but something that we're, we're definitely looking at and, and looking to kind of grow across the UK region. Brilliant. Well, that's that that's exciting. Um, I want to ask you how you think the market will mature. Biomed are clearly like one of the trailblazers in the space, right? You know, one of, if not the, you know, the biggest name in the in the market. But, yeah. you know, I don't know whether it's be, since the time that our businesses have been talking to one another or whether it's COVID related or what, I don't know what it is, but I'm hearing life sciences as a sort of focus area, certainly, um, rise the ranks in terms of um you know interest levels and it's right up there now with you know the logistics market and god knows yeah. if not number one so how do you think the space will evolve um i guess is my question and and um what are you doing about it would be question number two yeah well it's interesting i think the life science industry has proven its resiliency especially over the last couple of years here and i always like to compare Kind of the Cambridge Boston region to Cambridge UK. I think, you know, a decade ago or so in, in Cambridge Boston, you had to do a lot of education with, you know, investors and lenders who were looking to get into the life science real estate space. And it was almost seen as not really a core product. That yeah. is definitely not the case in Cambridge Boston now. I think, you know, Blackstone coming in and buying our biomed realty portfolio, all life science based speaks to the fact that it it really is um, a, a, an asset class that's widely accepted. It's not as custom, it's not seen to be as unique as it once was. Um, and in the States now, you know, especially in Cambridge, Boston region, investors very much understand the product set, lenders are comfortable with it. And so you have an increased amount of capital that has been flowing into the sector um, in, at an incredible pace, especially when you compare our asset class to some of the other real estate asset classes that have, have not been as resilient over the last couple of years. So we're seeing an incredible energy in that. I would say the UK is following, you know, the UK is not at the same level as Cambridge Boston in terms of the investors and the lenders really understanding the product set um, to that level, but they are getting there. You know, we are definitely seeing more energy, uh, go into the life science sector, more funding, more new entrants that are trying to get into the space. And so I think that's going to continue the acceleration of the market. And, you know, the way we think about it is ultimately we try to locate in regions where we believe in the life science fundamentals and we care less about the real estate aspect of it, because at the end of the day, you know, you, you can, you can take an office building anywhere and convert it, you know, assuming it meets certain technical requirements, but that doesn't mean a life science user wants to go there. And so we really try to start with the macro question of where groups want to go. And that's where we want to grow our portfolio. And we really, we really believe that that's in those clustered environments where the research is moving very, very quickly. Um, and we believe that those are a little bit more insulated than some of the locations that may be forming kind of outside the core. So um, where, what does the space look like in 10 years time, do you think? Um, I think for Cambridge UK and UK market generally, I think you're seeing more capital flood into the life science industry. And I think it's positioned to grow at a pace that it has not seen before. You know, we think about, we always draw parallels between the market and we think about when 
Novartis came into the Cambridge-Boston region and, and put its headquarters there and hired a significant amount of talent. That, that was a demand driver that made the market grow at a rapid pace that it had not seen before. Because groups realize if Novartis can go there, well, well, we can go there. And we have a partnership with them and we want to be co-located. And, you know, there's a lot of different energies that push the market forward when you see a large user like that make a commitment. You, Cambridge UK is seeing the same thing now with AstraZeneca creating their significant global headquarters right in the heart of, of Cambridge UK. Uh, and I think you'll continue to see momentum builds around that market. But I think we're going to see the market accelerate at a pace that it hasn't seen before. Um, we've already seen it happening over the last couple of years here. Uh, and I think the only thing that's really been limiting the real estate market in the UK has been people delivering the real estate supply. Biomed continues to work on, on projects in that market. And there are many new entrants that are seeing how successful the product set can be uh, and seeing the returns that it's driving. And, and so you're naturally seeing more users looking to get into the space. but. I think it's very much positioned for growth at a rapid pace. I agree with you. So it's all systems go. What 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 could hold you back? Like, what's the big threat that that um, you think about as an organization? Yeah, I mean, when we think about it, at least from the the state's perspective, all the debates on drug pricing. You know, to the to the extent that there's regulations that come out that impact the life science company's ability to charge for, you know, certain drugs or or to really work on moving the research forward. Obviously, that would be a, a macro impact that could cause cause some uh, energy to come out of the system. Um, so those are kind of like the macro types of things that we worry about. We also are very cognizant of incoming supply pipeline. Um, and, and you'll see a lot of groups are talking more about how much new product is entering the market. We actually don't really see that as being a big hindrance um, to the growth of the real estate market because it does seem that the demand is keeping pace and, and the science is moving quicker than the real estate is. Um, but I would say from a macro perspective, those are probably the, the couple of things that we're constantly keeping an eye on. And um, could could have an impact on the industry. Okay, let me change the subjects a little bit. I've got to ask you one of the big areas that that um, I find myself um, being asked questions about. I'm not sure I'm the person to give the answers on, but is um, sustainability, ESG, carbon yeah. zero. You know, uh, you you know what we're talking about now. I would have thought that as a as a, as a scientific led real estate developer owner you guys must think about that a lot yes we're incredibly focused on it um you know it's one of our top goals as a company really to make sure we're moving those initiatives forward i think it's also something that our life science tenant base cares very much about and it's top of mind for them when they're developing their real estate projects in partnership with us so uh, in addition to that, you know, our, our sponsor cares very much about those types of initiatives, as does our investor base and lender base. So definitely top of mind for us. I think we're, we're constantly trying to find innovative ways to make our buildings more efficient. Um, we've come, come up with some very interesting energy efficiency um, mechanisms that we've put into place in some of our buildings. So really working to be at the forefront of that. But at the end of the day, you know, life science buildings 
take a lot of power to operate. So it's some of it is the nature of the product set in order to perform the research um, by nature requires a lot of power um, for those buildings. So constantly something we're monitoring and trying to be on the cutting edge of the innovation for it, but it's a constantly improving process. You know, we'll develop a building, we go through best practices, lessons learned and try to employ them in the next building. And anytime we're doing renovations or anything like that, really trying to put the best practices in each of the projects, but it's something that will always challenge us. You know, you can never, you can never be up to par. You've got to be constantly challenging yourself to move and get to that next milestone. So something we're, we're keenly focused on. Well, I'm not surprised. That's really, really good to hear. Now, again, it might be slightly unfair question, and I'm not asking you to name <laughs> names, but yeah. you've seen hundreds of organizations with some wacky ideas, right? There must be, you know, trying to change the world or save the world or you know do do some amazing things so give give me an example of one of the tenants or you know organizations that you've met and you thought my gosh that's that's a that's a, that's an amazing idea and if you can pull that off that would be something special you, you must see these things daily i guess yeah we see well we definitely see companies investing in all different areas of the spectrum one one of the uh, sciences that has been really interesting to me particularly is the whole gene editing space so you know the the crispr cas9 technology is something that uh, has really taken off over the last few years and something that a significant amount of our tenants have started to work on. I won't get into how science works because I will I will totally butcher it. Um, but it's a really interesting and innovative space that I think has managed to move move the science forward pretty quickly. Um, so we have a few tenants in our portfolio that have been working on that type of technology, and it just seems to be growing at an, an increasing pace, um, which has been really interesting for us to see. What's we, it called? I've never. What is this? CRISPR. Yeah, so CRISPR-Cas9 technology, like the whole gene editing space, it's a really interesting um, part of the science to research and, and look at. Um, and from our perspective, you know, we do our best to try to keep up with the various areas that different companies are operating in. Uh, but we do a lot of research in partnership with our Blackstone Life Sciences Group, which is a, another arm of Blackstone that actually invests directly into these life science companies. Um, so we have a partnership with them and, you know, any, anytime we need to a real lesson on What's what, this? What, this, if, what, we, what the uh, viability of the science is, we, we call our friends up um, over at that, that part of the business and try to, try to learn a, bit, a little bit more, um, but always humbled. I mean, that some of the work that these groups do and the research milestones they're hitting are truly incredible. I'm sure you must see some incredible, incredible things. So um, let me ask you about you, Colleen, you're flying, you're, 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 you're developing your career at such a pace. A lot of our listeners, I think, um, might well be at the beginning of their career. So talk me through or give some real life examples or maybe advice around what you think are good things for young people entering the real estate space to consider? Would that be okay? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, well, I ended up in the real estate space a little bit by chance. Um, I previously worked, my first first job out of school was at uh, PwC, and then I worked at Fidelity Investments over in uh, Boston and more, more finance-oriented roles, uh, accounting and finance-oriented roles. And 
really actually did, did not think much about pursuing a career in real estate, but I got a phone call about this opportunity at Biomed to join the team at an associate level to really help run a lot of the analytics behind the decisions we were making and, and to move into that part of the space. And um, I would say as a younger person, I genuinely did not have a passion or a, an end goal of where I wanted my career to be. I think I, I knew that I didn't really see myself wanting to stay in the finance and accounting space because I could see people that were more senior than me and I didn't want their jobs. And for me, that was a, a telling aspect of, okay, even if I do all the right things and I succeed and I get to the level they're at, well, that's not really even what I want. Um, and so for me, when I learned about this job, moving over to the real estate side of the, set of, of the house, it was interesting to me because it was more tangible product. Um, it seemed exciting. It seemed like a rapidly moving um, sector. And so those things were all exciting to me. But, you know, I took kind of a risk because it was moving over from a different industry uh, and kind of trusting that that it would work. But the way I thought about it in my head is, okay, if it doesn't work out, I'm still fairly junior in my career. I could probably get another financial analyst position in Boston, you know, where there's a million finance firms. And if it does work out, well, that's great. Maybe it could be an exciting, exciting new career for me. Um, and so that, that I think, you know, take, taking risks is really important. Um, but I think the other thing is I was able to take the risk because I had a pretty solid skill set. You know, I had a technical skill set that I knew I could rely on and go back to if I, if I needed to. So I think it's important to find something that you hone in on and that you really bring to the table in terms of a skill set. It doesn't have to be finance. I mean, it could be marketing, it could be economics, um, really anything, but you have to have something that you're working towards and kind of improving a, a skill set constantly. I think that's really good advice. But you said then that you didn't have a plan back then in terms of your career. Do you have one now? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> It's been a few years in the space. I've been in it for like for seven years now. So, um, you know, I'm I'm really interested in kind of the growth of the business, you know, looking at acquiring new sites and, and growing the platform. I think I've been fortunate that I have aligned with the life science portion of the real estate business. To be totally candid, when I joined seven years ago, I really didn't have an appreciation for how incredible working alongside this industry is as compared to some other industry sectors that I could have gone into. Um, so I feel, I feel very fortunate on, on that aspect of the business, but I do see myself kind of continuing to grow and um, work more on growing the portfolio and, and progressing out of kind of a core leasing position and, and really being more focused on that, that aspect of the business. Um. I think it's mind blowing what you've achieved in such a short, relatively short period of time, seven years to go from being a <laughs> out of out of industry analyst to um, somebody who heads up leasing for arguably the most exciting real estate business on the planet. It's pretty impressive, Colleen. So yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, I'd say keep doing what you're doing. And because you're so important, and so busy and you've got this huge career to take care of. Um, <laughs> I'm going to, I think I'm, I'm going to wrap it up there. But before we do, um, we always ask a few quick fire questions. Is that cool? Cool. All right. 
You're ready to go. This this could be I quite. So. This could be the most challenging element of the whole. <laughs> most challenging part of the call. All right, I'm up for uh, it. And and I get handed these at the last minute, so don't blame me. They're not necessarily okay. my questions. <laughs> New York bagels or British scones? Mm, I think scones. I think I get, I'm not a big bagel person. Yeah. Well, they're both pretty good at the right time. <laughs> Yellow taxi or black cab? Black cab. I have to to agree with you on this like I've done a lot of transatlantic (laughs) and it's the one you you beat us on lots of levels but the taxi is not one of them definitely not on the taxi side Um, Empire State Building or the Shard I think Empire State Building the Shard the Shard's a bit modern for me yeah, I know you mean I mean it's amazing we're still talking about that building right there were taller ones and you know, shinier ones, but yeah, it'll, it, it's a special building. This is a good question. If even if I say so myself, I, I didn't <laughs> write it. Soho, New York, or Soho, London? Ooh, that's a hard one. I was in Soho, New York, a couple of weeks ago, and it reminded me how much I love it. So I might, I might have to pick Soho, New York. Yes, yeah, I mean, I couldn't argue with you. Um, I always ask this question, Bowie or the Beatles? I I don't know if I have an opinion on that one. Is that bad? No, it just shows how young you are. And, and... <laughs> you can pick for me on that, on that one. Maybe the Beatles? There you go. You picked. There we go. <laughs> you picked. <laughs> okay, but no, on the music theme, if it's yep. not one of those two, you've got to hit me with a name of a... Musical um, artist. You know, I hate to admit this because I, I think people might judge me, but I'm a huge Britney Spears fan and I've been very much following the free Britney movement. And I, I you know, that shows, I guess that shows my age too, but I, and people, people may judge me, but I love Britney. You look a bit like Britney Spears. <laughs> do I? I yeah. do, well, I hope you mean Britney Spears like 10 years ago, not today. I haven't been tracking her that closely recently. Okay, okay, because she's gone. To, she's gone downhill. I will say, but oh. ten years ago, I'll t- I'll take that one. Well, you're the fan. I, I it was meant as a, it was meant as a you know a call. the question now needs to be Bowie Beatles or Britney. So forevermore, yeah. when I'm gonna ask that question, I'll add yeah. Britney into the mix. I'll let you know on the Britney count as well. How yeah, well you'll have to let me know. A <laughs> uh, final question. Um, if you could own any piece of real estate in the world, what building would it be and why? Ooh, that's a really, that might, that question might be too hard for me. Honestly, <laughs> if I could have any piece of real estate in the world, and, and this sounds very frugal of me, but I would probably get a little flat in Paris and, and hang out in Paris and enjoy the city. I love it. It's beautiful there. Yeah, it is beautiful. You're right. It's, <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, Colleen, I can't thank you enough. I mean, you thank you so much for uh, giving me this this time during your busy, hectic schedule. You you really are an inspiration to lots of people. What Biomed are doing is incredible. Thank you for your loyalty to uh, myself and my company. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, um, absolutely. Keep 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 you know keep trailing the blaze or <laughs> blazing the trail. I'm not sure which way around it is. Yeah, perfect. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for making the time. Thank you. You can join the DS movement by visiting ds.devrelsmith.com and you will receive the latest Deadcast episode direct to your inbox.